Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Yes, it is the Danny Parkin Show coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. I am very excited to talk to my next guest because I find Russell Westbrook to be one of the most fascinating players in the NBA. And this man has covered his entire career in Oklahoma City, albeit with his own, I'll say, unique relationship with Russ or lack thereof he'll be able to explain it better than I can Barry Trammell the columnist from the Oklahoman joins us now on CBS Sports Radio Barry thank you so much for your time how you doing tonight doing great Danny so for anyone who doesn't know can you tell the audience a little bit about your uh, odd history with Russell Westbrook well I think you sort of hit it best when you said uh, relationship or lack thereof um Russell doesn't really have a relationship with the media. And uh, he has a particularly caustic uh, situation with a few people, primarily me, for no good reason. He just sort of picked me out of the crowd years ago that he needed sort of a poster child for his disdain for the media. And I was sort of the oldest guy around, the longest-lasting guy around, so... We sort of go at it sometimes. Um, I don't take it, never took it personal. He just, he needs an enemy, uh, several enemies, whether it's officials, whether it's opponents, whether it's media. So I'm just sort of playing the part. But I will say this, we're going to miss him greatly in Oklahoma City. He's a fascinating player, an entertaining player, and uh, he's having unbelievable years. So, uh, I and four million other Oklahomans are going to miss him. What are you going to miss most about him? The nightly entertainment. Just had no idea what you're going to get. Can't take your eyes off the guy. Just a guy who uh, always does something wild. Most of the time good, sometimes not so good, but spectacular, crazy, um, historic, just feet after feet that just is is just nuts and um you could you always got your money's worth with russell westbrook so i gotta you know i gotta give my tip my cap to the guy he's uh he, he gave fans their money's worth night after night after night in oklahoma city Barry Trammell covers the Oklahoma City Thunder and all Oklahoma sports for the Oklahoman is our guest. I know he didn't answer your questions. I never. I know you never got to profile him in a one-on-one as a columnist, which is an odd thing. But did you did you ever get the feeling like you figured out what makes Russell Westbrook tick? No, not particularly. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah. I, I, I will say this. I, you know. I, I do think he's distrustful of people in general. You know, he moved to town as a 19-year-old one week after the draft 
of 2008, and he basically came by himself. Um, his brother's a little younger than him. His parents, his parents didn't come out with him. Moved to town by himself. No posse, no nothing. And, you know, you look around and, oh, now all these superstars still have posses, and Westbrook never did. Um, Westbrook married his college sweetheart, which is sort of an admirable thing, you know, in, in NBA culture. So I think he just has a tight little circle. A few friends, maybe, some family. And that's about it. And um, I think he just uh, is, is generally distrustful of a lot of people and doesn't let doesn't let anybody in. So um, that's about as much of a dime store psychologist that I can give you. Um, he literally is uh, a guy that we just we don't know a lot about other than just observing. He certainly is not going to give you any insight with anything he might say. Is he a good teammate? Well, it would seem to be not. It would seem like working 270 days a year with Russell Westbrook that includes some intense times, not just on the court, but traveling with him, uh, long practices, all those things. However, uh, some of his teammates swear by him. You know, Ennis Canner called him his best teammate ever. And. Uh, you know, late in his career, after going through all that, all the Kevin Durant stuff, you know, Paul George said, hey, I got a little taste at Westbrook. I'll, I'll sign up for some more. So I tend to think that inside the, the confines of the locker room, the, the places that people can't see, Westbrook's probably a different person. Um, that's what people, you know, Nick Collison is just, Held in the highest regard in, in Oklahoma City. Uh, Midwest guy, University of Kansas, grew up in Iowa and played for, forever in Oklahoma City. And he swears by Russell Westbrook. So you know, I think there's a side of Westbrook we can't see. And I can tell you this. My cousin uh, taught in inner city Oklahoma City uh, public schools. And uh, a few years ago she said, you know, the Thunder brought one of their, you know, one of their community outreach deals to school the other day. And they brought four players, and, and she said they spent a lot of time with, with the kids and whatnot. She said three of the guys, and she didn't tell she didn't want to tell me which three. But she said three of the guys came, and they were fine. And, they, and the kids enjoyed them. But you could tell they were just sort of putting in the time and were you know ready when the hour was up. She said the fourth guy was Russell Westbrook, and she said he was fantastic with the kids. He made them all feel special. Uh, just got in and became one of them, and she was really impressed with that. So, you know, I, I, I guess I can give you a little bit more dime store psychology. I think he generally is pretty good around kids. I don't know that he's great around adults that he doesn't trust. So um, if you're in the inner circle, you're in. But if you're not, you're, you're, you're out. Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman covered Russell Westbrook's entire career from uh, when he was 19 until this trade. I, what I thought was interesting was how celebrated it was when when Russ stayed and Russ signed the contract, and you know it was that I'm not doing the super team thing, and we're going to build a winner here, and he gets Paul George, and that was all great, and then Paul George leaves, and then immediately Russ leaves. 
traditionally you would think that sports fans would turn on a player who at one point said he was going to stay and then ends up demanding a trade and leaving. But I don't get the sense that Thunder fans are angry at Russell Westbrook. Do I have that right? You're exactly right. There's nobody angry at Westbrook. Uh, He did too much for the city, especially the way he stayed, not just once but twice. Um, in 2017 or 2016, Durant on July 4th goes to, goes to the Warriors and literally put the whole state in a, a state of despair. Just a, a, a pall fell over the entire state. And one month later, Russell Westbrook walks into the arena and and signs a a, a contract extension. Uh, the rules at the time, the, the timing worked out. He could sign a one-year extension which basically meant he'd be here two more years. Um, and, but just that one little act of, of loyalty, uh, he was very popular before then, but that one little act just uh, sort of uh, bronzed him as an all-time Oklahoma star. And then, of course, the next summer, or September, he signed the Supermax, putting him uh, in Oklahoma City through 2023. And, you know, that was just, you know, that, that, that sealed it. And really, no matter what happened after that, the playoff disappointments, the uh, you know the, the eventual breakup that we're seeing now, none of that could wipe away how people felt about Russell Westbrook. Would you then define the whole era as a success or ultimately a failure because they didn't win a ring? I, I call it a success. The NBA is not an egalitarian society. This is not the NFL where teams rise and fall and can, uh, you know, everybody can win. The NBA historically has been a very difficult championship to win. And it is not, it's a title that's not passed around very much. The Thunder could have won multiple titles. You could say they should have won at least one title. But the fact that they didn't, I don't see any way that that can wipe away the success of, a, of 11 years, one year was the first year was not very good or not good at all. Other than the novelty of having a team, they win 29 games. But after that, a winner every year, usually a big time winner with unbelievable stars and fabulous memories and great games. And, you know, just the fact that the playoffs didn't go well, you know, in, in, in 12, um, they go to the NBA Finals and had a 1-0 lead. You know, they could have won. They just didn't against Miami. Probably weren't ready to do it. In 13, they're the number one seed in the West, and Westbrook, uh, Patrick Beverly crashes into Westbrook, tears up Westbrook's knee. They're not, and he goes out. Thunder doesn't have a chance after that. In 14 in the West Finals, they run into a great Spurs team. That's the Spurs team that took apart LeBron in his final Miami season. Yep. 16, they had the Warriors on the ropes, 73-win team, considered the best team in NBA history. They had them on the ropes, 3-1. Clay Thompson and game six happened. They just didn't get it done. They could have, should have, didn't, but there's no way that can wipe out uh, the success and the fun uh, of those uh, of these last 10 years in Oklahoma City. No one knows Oklahoma City sports better than our guest Barry Trammell just for another couple of minutes here on CBS Sports Radio. It's one thing in a market of that size to support a winner with all that star talent. 
now that they're breaking it down and going through a rebuild, do you expect Oklahoma City to support the team through a bunch of losing? Well, I do. Um, now, I also think there's a limit to that. If you know, if the Thunder decides to go in total tank mode, which they haven't yet, uh, they're rebuilding, no doubt, but they haven't gone. They still got a decent roster, got all those draft picks. They're not in total tank mode. If they do, well, then I don't, you know, I don't blame anybody for jumping ship on a tank. But if the Thunder goes through a, a few struggling seasons, trying to trying to build back the uh, the talent level, then um, I think the, the fans will stay with them, and I think they ought to because you know it, you're not assured of anything. And for for ten years, they've gotten great success and wild fun superstar basketball and that's not the norm um that's not that's not what happens in charlotte and orlando and atlanta and uh, all over the nba um we've had we're way above the curve on on what we what we have gotten with the nba experience so i hope the fans realize that hey you know sometimes it's your turn to go through the hard times and I expect that to happen. I expect the fans to stay with them uh, just as long as they don't do a total tank job. Do you think CP3 ever plays? Chris Paul ever plays for the Thunder? I don't think so. He doesn't want to, and I don't think they want him to. However, that's a tough contract to trade. (laughs) Yes, it is. I'm not sure how you trade it. There might be only one team even interested in Chris Paul, that's Miami, and I don't think they're interested in giving the Thunder much for him. So, you know, I, I think it's a case of they will probably trade him, but it won't be easy. Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman, you're the only person I wanted to talk to about Russell Westbrook. So, thank you very much for staying up with me in the insight. It's much appreciated. You bet. Glad to do it. Thank you. That's Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman. It is a. Uh, I, there's just not many players in NBA history like Russell Westbrook. I'm a huge Derrick Rose fan here in Chicago. They came into the league together at the same time. Rose won the MVP first. I've always said that if Rose would have stayed healthy, he would have been Russell Westbrook in terms of his career. Russell Westbrook has had injuries but came back from them stronger and didn't have as many. And he's he gets the billing and the title of most athletic point guard in NBA history. And one of the most competitive players in NBA history. So it's a hell of a legacy. I want to get into the idea, by the way, of would you consider that decade a success? You just heard Barry Trammell lay it out. A finals appearance, up 1-0, Warriors on the ropes in the 73-win season, had Durant, had Russ, had Harden, had Ibaka, had them all in their prime, didn't win a ring. Can you, in good faith, call that a success? 855-212-4CBS. Your answer and mine next. This is the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is 855-212-4227, and it's brought to you by GEICO. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Thanks to Barry Trammell from the Oklahoman for joining me. I am Danny Parkins. This is CBS Sports Radio, radio.com sports, Sirius 206. 
question popped into my head when talking with Barry about that era that he covered, and it was a fascinating one in Oklahoma City. New franchise, relocates from Seattle, has Kevin Durant, has a hot general manager in Sam Presti who's still there, has a bunch of high picks, hits on him. Hits on Westbrook, hits on Harden, hits on Ibaka. They go to the finals in 12, lose. They're too young, not ready for it. Guys develop, guys grow older, guys get ready to get paid. Ownership not willing to pay. The franchise tag, or the franchise tag. We're going to talk NFL in a little bit. Uh, Owner not willing to pay the luxury tax. James Harden really good. Kind of blocked by Westbrook Harden. Trade Harden. He becomes a superstar. Okay, then they've got Ibaka, Westbrook, Durant. The Warriors become a thing. They battle the Warriors. Fall just short. Ultimately never get over the hump. Lose Durant. Westbrook stays. They have this 10-year run of relevance, this 10-year run of stardom, a finals appearance, Eight or nine playoff appearances, but no ring. And I got to be honest, the goal of pro sports is to win a championship. So I hate to feel like I'm grading on a curve, but in Oklahoma City, that's a success. It just is. You created a fan base, right? In Chicago, or New York, or L.A., or Boston, or Miami, places with NBA history, places with banners, places with big market expectations, other pro sport teams. It's maybe a fun era. It's celebrated. Numbers get retired. But ultimately, you'll look back and you'll say, ah, it was disappointing. They didn't win a ring. But you've got to start from somewhere with building a fan base and a culture. And that's what those teams did. So there's no shame in that game. Now you could put blame on the ownership for not being willing to pay Harden and pay the luxury tax to keep that team together. That's a different conversation. But ultimately now that those big three Harden, Westbrook, Durant have all left Oklahoma city and they're getting ready to trade Chris Paul and go through what is going to be a rebuild even if it's not outright tanking like Barry Trammell was quibbling with, but it's a rebuild. I think you can call it a success because it's cemented Oklahoma City as an NBA market. I've been to an NBA game there. Those fans turn out. That's why I asked the question of will they turn out when they're losing. He says he thinks so because of all the success and the bond that this team had over the last decade with his fan base. If he's right, it's going to be hard to argue that that wasn't a success. Now, if it turns into New Orleans the last couple of years where they weren't really supporting, even though they had Anthony Davis and the ownership was more interested in the saints and you know, new Orleans just got Zion. So they will be okay. But that wasn't a great spot for the NBA recently. Charlotte, another good example. If Oklahoma city turns into Charlotte or new Orleans pre Zion, then maybe you look back at it differently, but if they're still committed and they're still turning out and they're still doing well in terms of percent capacity of attendance, I think you got to look at that era and say, they put Oklahoma City on the map as a legitimate NBA market, and when you didn't have a team before and now you're a pro sports town, that's a success. I mean, the biggest thing in Oklahoma for sports are the Sooners. 
No baseball team, no hockey team, no NFL team. Now it's an NBA market. Russell Westbrook had a huge role in that. 855-212-4CBS is the number. Joe in San Diego wants to weigh in. Joe, you're on CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for calling. Well, thanks for having me in. Uh, I just want to say that just what you said right there, I, I, I agree with that. And now what really happens, you know, this GM that they have in Oklahoma City is supposed to be a pretty wise guy, pretty smart, savvy. Now he gets to show what his skill level is because they're going to have some salary cap space. They can get rid of Chris Paul. He's got a lot of draft picks. And I think the guy did a really smart thing because he got a lot of picks in 2024 and 2026. When Houston, all these guys, Westbrook and them will be gone, uh, Clippers, Kawhi and all of them will be gone, and maybe they'll be going through that rebuilding or restructuring period, and they'll be in the lottery then, and he'll be having those picks in the lottery instead of getting a bunch of picks right now when they're going to be real good. So I, I think Oklahoma City, they're going to be okay because they can be able to get some free agents in there, and with the picks they have, if this guy's really that good of a GM, maybe he doesn't have the first and second pick like with Durant when he had him, but if he can do this homework, Oklahoma City can probably turn that thing around and become another viable franchise with a good team over the course of the next three to four years. Listen, it's a good call, Joe, and I appreciate it. And Sam Presti is regarded as one of the smartest basketball minds in the game, and he has more first-round picks over a six-year period of time coming up than any team in the history of the NBA. So he's got ammunition. Now, I don't know if I'm a fan of the thunder if i'm too pumped about a 2025 draft pick that's a long time that's a lot of irrelevance so you'd hope that you get something the goal is is that you can get back to respectability before that and then it's like oh yeah remember when they traded westbrook and then they add to it it's like boston like their their goal is to be the Celtics, except with instead of just good players, some actual superstars, and that's not a total shot at the Celtics. We can get into that if you want, but like Boston had all those assets, right? It was Tatum and Brown and Horford and Kyrie and Hayward, and they had the Sacramento pick, and they had this draft pick, and the, the Memphis pick, and the, you know they had all of those assets from the trade with the Nets and everything. It was just like an embarrassment of riches and they were a good team. That's what the goal is for the Thunder. The goal for the Thunder is be bad for a couple of years, stockpile with young talent, get good, be in the playoffs again in two or three years, and then be like, oh wow. It's a playoff team with cap space and lottery picks from other teams coming in. That's when you can become a dynasty or a dominant team. When you're a playoff team that has other people's lottery picks. Because then you get the best of both worlds. You get the playoff experience, young players, you're a destination, people want to play for you, though Oklahoma City geographically might be a problem with that. But you also still have the ability to play the lottery game because you've got other people's draft picks. So that's the goal in Oklahoma City. I want to shift gears coming up here because the NFL, kind of like the jump to conclusions, Matt, in office space, has floated a truly awful idea for an 18-game schedule. I've talked about this before. I think me and a buddy have come up with the perfect idea, how the NFL can get what it wants, players can get what they want, and fans can be satiated with more football. So I'm going to solve the NFL's problem of the 18-game schedule coming up. We want your ideas as well. This is the Danny Parkin Show. 
Thank you for hanging out on the Danny Parkin Show on CBS Sports Radio. I should mention, tomorrow night at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, CBS Sports Network brings you tennis like you've never seen it before. Don't miss the action-packed mixed-gender showdown between Las Vegas and Washington. It's World Team Tennis on the 24-hour home of CBS Sports. So, I'd like to discuss a truly bad idea that if we don't come up with a better idea, might actually happen. And that is what the Wall Street Journal reported and has been discussed. It is the worst-kept secret in the NFL that the league and the owners want an 18-game schedule. And we've got a new CBA coming up sooner than many of us would like to imagine, a time where players are saying they are preparing financially for a lockout after getting absolutely destroyed in the last round of labor negotiations. And people are like, oh, the NFL Players Union's weak. It's much more complicated than that. I've talked with Eric Winston many times, the president of the NFL Players Association. I've talked with NFL players on and off the air. A huge problem that they have with getting a huge amount of people to be committed to it in the past, historically. So I don't want to attribute this to any one person. But what it has been is, how are you going to convince guys who don't have guaranteed contracts to sit out a year for future players when their careers are already so short? Right? like That's why it's so tough. In baseball, not as much of an injury risk. Contracts are guaranteed. Easier to have a strong union. Basketball, not as much of an injury risk. Contracts are guaranteed easier. NFL players, you're going to, a guy's been on his rookie deal for four years. He's a free agent. He's about to get paid a $35 million signing bonus. That guy's got to sit out in his free agency year. His first one big payday, his one generational wealth payday. It's just much tougher in the NFL. Most guys don't get three big contracts. The contracts aren't fully guaranteed. There's a bigger risk of injury. So there's more players. It's just, it's complicated. So it's not that the union's weak. It's that the sport's dangerous. There's so much money. There's so many players and there's such a short earning potential that it's really, really tough to get unity around these issues. Easier for the 32 billionaires or 31 billionaires and the Packers to get in a room together. Much easier. But the report in the Wall Street Journal was basically the league wants 18 regular season games, but if we're so concerned about player safety and player health, we're going to put a limit per player at 16 games. So... One game, instead of seeing Pat Mahomes or Tom Brady or Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, you're seeing the backup. Then maybe you say, well, it's bad for fans who paid for tickets, so we let quarterbacks play. But uh, then instead of, you get to see Jared Goff, but you don't get to see Aaron Donald. You get to see Mitch Trubisky, but you don't get to see Khalil Mack. You get to see Baker Mayfield, but you don't get to see Odell Beckham. Or Miles Garrett. It's a truly awful idea. The unintended consequences, the upset nature of fans, how do you deal with injuries? What about kickers, punters, long snappers? 
it's truly horrible. I'm guessing some of you can come up with a better idea off the top of your head, or maybe you've actually thought about it. 855-212-4CBS. If it's inevitable that we are going to get more football and expand the schedule in the NFL, what's a better way to do it than that? And I, by the way, understand why a lot of fans would say, why do I care if it goes from 16 to 18 games? That's more football. Frankly, that's how you should feel. I like football. I want more football. Give me more football. For me, the NFL is basically perfect in how it does it. I've maybe met too many players and have a little bit too much of a bleeding heart and empathy for that they deserve a bigger piece of the revenue pie. There's too many injuries. The game literally shortens their lifespan. And there's already barbaric things like Thursday night football and those quick turnarounds. And I've had too many players tell me too many horror stories about what they need to do to get ready to play just on a Sunday to Sunday basis, not to mention a Sunday to Thursday basis, that it's hard for me in good consciousness to advocate for the same financial compensation for the players and then adding an eighth of the way, right? Adding two to 16, adding the increasing the schedule by that amount. It's hard for me morally to do it, but I know that I'll watch. You can make it 28 games. I'm watching. I'm cheering big hits. Like That's the moral dilemma that I have with football all the time that a lot of people have with football all the time, but that frankly most of us put out of our heads all the time, especially on Sundays and Saturdays and Mondays and Thursdays and, oh, my God, our lives are dominated by football and football is the greatest. And it's gotten easier now that, the cat's finally out of the bag and we've acknowledged and players know exactly what they're signing up for when it comes to head trauma. It's gotten easier to say, hey, okay, this isn't big tobacco anymore. We're not lying to you about what happens in football, but just compensate them. But I I think I've got the solution. And uh, this was something that Nick Wright, one of my best friends in the world, groomsman in my wedding, morning guy at Fox Sports 1, he gets initial credit for the idea but years ago. I remember we talked this through and we were kicking some ideas around. And th- this is the idea that I think the NFL should do that would be a tremendous compromise. You cut out two weeks of the preseason. You go from four games down to two. The players are in better physical condition than ever before. They don't need four games. You can do joint practices with other teams. You can do more competitive training camps. It's more of an onus on the coaches and the GMs to self-scout to be able to put together their roster. But you shouldn't need four preseason games. But four preseason games, those games are revenue. Those games are included in the season ticket plan. They make money. How are you going to make up for that? Instead of going to 18 games, go to 17 and make it an international game for every team. You could do it all at once and do international week, or you could spread it out. And you give teams two buys. So the team depending on travel, gets a buy on the back end of their international game and on the front end of their Thursday night game. 
every season, every team. So let's just say it was international week. Let's say the middle of the season, week nine, all 32 teams are playing. No one has a bye. It's international week, but no games are happening in America. So you got no game at Giant Stadium, no game at Cowboy Stadium, no game at Lambeau, no game at Arrowhead, but you've got game in London, game in Mexico City, game in Toronto, game in Beijing, get all over the place. And you grow the international brand of the NFL exponentially. You would dominate the global sports conversation for a week. It would be everywhere. Now, it would be tricky. My guess is you couldn't do it all in one week, maybe logistically with time zone problems for your TV contracts. But that's for people smarter than me to figure out. And you can map it all out geographically. Maybe you do four games a week. I personally love those London early start time games. Tricky with your fantasy lineups. Anyone who's ever had a Jaguar or a Bill and came in seventh place, but those teams playing in London and the game starts at 8.30, you know how tough it can be. But figure out a way to say what we're going to do is, and you can play multiple games in Toronto and Mexico City and London. You don't have to go all the way to Taiwan. Like You can you can grow this exponentially and you could do it where it makes sense where teams on the west coast could go to asia and teams on the east coast can go to europe and teams in the southern part of the united states could go to central america and maybe some northern teams can can go to canada play a game in montreal play a game in toronto whatever the case may be and really grow your game grow your brand but make the travel easy and give the players an extra buy and you don't get an extra gate at home, right? So you don't get the revenue for an extra game at uh, at Soldier Field or at Arrowhead or at Lambeau. But the international money, it's not a home game for either team, so it's shared. And you say, well, these, these owners, you know, who have better uh, higher ticket prices or can charge more for concessions or have bigger stadiums, they're going to be upset because they're going to lose... NFL teams already share revenue anyway. I don't know if you saw this tweet from Darren Ravel during the week. NFL gives $8.78 billion back to its teams in national revenue for last season. Not last decade, not last century, last season, the NFL... Divided among 32 teams of their national revenue pool, $8.78 billion. So each team, from the Patriots to the Jaguars, from the Bills to the Cowboys, from the Giants to the Chargers, every team, $274.3 million. The NFL already does revenue sharing. So, pool it together. And, by the way, this eliminates the inequity of right now, these international games, teams have to give up home games. So some teams are playing seven home games, eight road games, and one neutral site game. This eliminates that. Everybody gets eight home games, eight road games, one neutral game. Players have to play an extra regular season game. They get their percentage of the revenue, whatever they negotiate in the next CBA. Owners sacrifice a home game 
Each team would only have one home and one road preseason game. So the owners give up a preseason game. The players don't have to play in a preseason game. The NFL gets to grow its brand internationally. They split up the revenue equally because maybe uh, attendance in London would be higher than it is in Montreal, just for an example. So the gate at each game doesn't matter as much. You add this into your general pool. You spread it up evenly. You're welcome. Who says no? Who's got a better idea? 855-212-4CBS is the number. Do you like 18 games? What's your solution? How are we fixing this? How are we making this better? Because this idea is idiotic. The Wall Street Journal reported idea is terrible. 18-game schedule, but players only have to play in 16 games. That's an awful, terrible, no good, very bad idea. Nothing good comes from that. More guys will get hurt. Fans will be angry. It'll complicate things. There's going to be deception. Do you have to declare guys out ahead of time? Can you change if someone gets injured during the game? Like if you're, uh, if you, this is one of the games where your starting quarterback doesn't isn't playing, but then your backup quarterback starts, but then your backup quarterback gets hurt, is your starter automatically out of the game, or then can he go in? And then does he have to sit out the next game, or are you now playing your third stringer? Like that is an idea that is ripe for corruption and unintended consequences. And do you do you have to announce it only ninety minutes before with the inactives? Then that screws with the gambling line. That's a terrible idea. We can do better. The NFL is going to grow its schedule. Can you do better than my international week idea or the NFL's proposed 18-game schedule with players playing only 16 of the 18? We hear from you on your ideas for the NFL schedule coming up. 855-212-4CBS. This is the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 